Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and I know our show's been moving around a lot lately, but I'm glad you've found us at our new time and on our new day, and I think you're going to be very pleased that you've tuned in this morning because I have two very fun guests coming up. First, Michael Landa, the founder and CEO of the Pet Staff, will be joining us and explaining why anthropomorphism may not be a good thing. So all of you out there who like to dress up your little chihuahuas, this might be something you want to pay attention to. Then later, I am very proud to announce that Wayne Pacelli, the director and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States, will be dropping by to explain all the reasons why Proposition 2 is necessary for the state of California. But before we get started, we need to take a short break. We'll be right back, though, here on the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260 and 540. Stay tuned. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260 and 540. I'm Marie Hewitt, and here in the studio right now is Michael Landa, the founder and CEO of the Pet Staff. Welcome. How are you? Hi there, Marie. Great. Thank you. Thanks for coming down here. Thanks for having me on the show. So first of all, we need to get out there. What is the Pet Staff? Well, the Pet Staff is the largest in-home pet sitting and dog walking service in greater Los Angeles. So we cover a large geography all the way from Pasadena down to Long Beach. So we cover San Fernando Valley, the West Side, South Bay, Greater LA and the Long Beach areas. Oh, wow, that's huge. Uh, We have 170 pet professionals on staff that do pet sitting, dog walking, dog training, and some pet transportation as well. Oh, so you do dog training also? We do dog training as well. Wow. um, And so how we operate basically is we, um, our pet sitting and dog walking service, we work with clients that are either out of town, for example, if they're traveling Mm -hmm. and they need somebody to come to the home. So we're an alternative to kennel boarding. Okay, um, and we, I really, really advocate that. Well, I hate seeing animals getting dropped off at a little kennel in a little cage somewhere. I'd much prefer seeing them. And our clients feel the same, which is mm-hmm. which is how we started. And we, um, you know, so our pet sitters will actually come to the home, and about forty percent of our clients, believe it or not, are cats. So we oh. have a large mix of cats as well as dogs. Mm-hmm. And so for cats, we tend to come once a day um, or twice a day, depending on the client. Okay. We'll clean the litter and fresh food and water and playtime. And for dogs, we usually come two to three times a day. Some clients will have a sleepover as well. So we do some sleepovers with dogs okay. as well. Okay. And, um, and then, like I said, before the training we offer, and we do pet taxi. So if clients need their pet to go to the vet or the groomer, um, we provide transportation to and from oh, the home. Oh, that's an excellent service. I know uh, senior citizens in particular sometimes need a lot of help with absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. So we we do the transportation, and um, and then in some cases we also provide for people that are at work and they work long hours, which many of us do nowadays, um, we come for the midday break. So we'll come and let the dog out on a regular basis, some daily schedules, weekly schedules. We'll come for a midday break and a walk. Well, that's really nice. So that way a pet isn't left alone for hours and hours at a time with Correct. nothing to do except to get into it's trouble. It's not only a potty break, <laughs> but it's also a good mental stimulation sure. and provides a nice little fitness program in the middle of the day for them as well while their owners are away. What a great service. So our company is a little bit different. We, um, 
we act more like an agency. So unlike a typical pet sitting company, we uh, we have in staff an entire back office. So we have a call center and customer service center in Hollywood that handles all the scheduling, the dispatching, all the back office functions so that our 170 pet sitters can really focus on 100% providing care for the animals. Well, what is that number that people can call? I'll get that out now, and then I'll ask you again later. The, uh, the main number to the office is 310-273-5600. Mm-hmm. And our website also has uh, a lot of this information, which is just www.thepetstaff.com. No spaces. No spaces, okay. just in the word the pet staff. Okay. And um, so the other, I mean, the final thing I just want to mention about the company is that nowadays, you know, this industry is exploding, which we'll talk about in a minute. And today it's very easy for somebody to walk into Kinko's, for example, and print a business card. And if you can hang a flyer on a flagpole, then you're, you know, you can be in business as a pet sitter. So one of the things that's very different about our company is we have an entire HR staffing function in the company, which operates like a staffing agency. In that so you do a little bit of a background we check. We do all the background checks. We do reference checking. And now we've even gone so far as to implement personality profile testing because we found with our years of experience, it's, you know, it's one thing to be really passionate and to love pets, which is a very, very important element of the job. Mm-hmm. But also as critical is finding people with the right skill sets of being extremely organized and, you know, a high level of integrity and et cetera, sure. which is very hard to maybe in a 10-minute assessment to figure out. So right. Yeah, and I can understand how people might feel a little wary about inviting somebody into their home while they're off on vacation. Very personalized and service. And trusting Correct. that person. So we, try to, we take the guesswork out of it for the clients okay. and that we do all of that background checking for everybody and the reference checking. Oh, that's really nice. How did you get involved in all of this? Well, um, I was actually <laughs> through... I think how a lot of entrepreneurs get started is I was a pet care consumer in 2001 myself. Okay. Um, my dog, Max II, at the time, we was trying to take a trip to Colorado, and I went through the process. He had just uh, been diagnosed with bladder cancer, and it was a very difficult time. And mm. I decided rather than travel with me, I was going to leave Max at home and tried to find a provider. And it was just a very unnerving process, you know, mm-hmm. trying to f- talk to people that I really didn't feel comfortable with or companies that didn't call back or... I just really didn't get a strong sense that Max would be in, you know, very good care while I was gone. So what I ended up doing was canceling my flight and driving to Colorado. Uh, and at the time, I was with working <laughs> with Max, who was extremely <laughs> happy. Um, but it was somewhere, you know, between here and Colorado that I gave this a lot of thought because my background has been um, business planning. I've worked for General Electric and I worked for um, Universal Studios most recently in corporate development and strategic planning. So what I did essentially is put together my own business plan and um, launched the pet staff in 2001. And we've grown today to be what we believe to be the na- nation's largest private pet care company. That's pretty amazing. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Wow. Thank you. Now, now you know a little bit about uh, anthropomorphism, which <laughs> I'd like word. to talk about. <laughs> Because uh, I think we've all seen uh, the Paris Hiltons of the world dressing yes, up their little yes. chihuahuas. And, and you have some very definitive ideas about this. Can we talk about that? Absolutely. I mean, it's, a, it's a funny word. A lot of people haven't heard of anthropomorphism, but it's actually quite a simple concept. And it's one that most of us are guilty of, including myself, oh, me to too. some degree. <laughs> but essentially what it is, it's, it's assigning human characteristics like thoughts and feelings and human belief systems to non-human things. And in this case, we're talking about pets. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the most obvious example are the cartoon characters that we see, um, you know, everything from Donald Duck to Chicken Little to we're about to see Beverly Hills Chihuahua, where we'll actually hear celebrity human voices 
you know, delivering these messages, which are actually coming from dogs in the form of visuals. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it's something where the industry has been exploding quite a bit. 63.5% um, of now all U.S. households own a pet, which means there are 75 million dogs and 88 million cats in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, but what's more interesting is the kind of the what I call the psychographic trends, the things that are happening in addition to just the growth of the industry, which is um, the American Animal Hospital Association actually recently did a study where 83% uh, now of pet owners now call themselves their mommy or their daddy. Sure. So, and that compares to just over 50% just 10 years ago. So you can see kind of a trend uh, emerging, and 60% of people celebrate their pet's birthday, and that's kind of where I'm a little bit guilty because Max just had his first birthday, and yeah, he had his friends over that. and all of that. But um, but I'll talk in a minute just about kind of the downstream consequences to being a real what I call a chronic anthropomorphist and how that can manifest itself sure, in certain Sure, you have behaviors. to remember that dogs are dogs and Correct. cats are cats. They do have feelings. They are sentient beings. Yes. But you have to remember that their psyche and their behavior is very canine or feline or whatever animal they happen to be oriented. That's and correct. And you make fatal mistakes if, uh, if you think that they're thinking like people. And sometimes it could be disastrous with, you know, attacks and aggressiveness and all kinds right. of things that you don't want. A lot of those behaviors manifest mm -hmm. as a result of the way that they're, mm -hmm. they're being treated. And a lot of us like to think of our dogs or cats as, as our babies or our children, which mm -hmm. is, you know, that's great for us. It makes us feel good. But like you said, we really have to be cognizant of the fact that these humanizing behaviors for dogs and cats can be detrimental. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, you know... We've seen, I mean, on the extreme end, we, you know, we hear about people feeding human food to dogs. Or oh, that's we see, terrible to do, too. We see all the human names now coming out for dogs or people, like we said earlier, celebrating birthdays. Um, I don't know if you've heard, there's even actually a company now that will provide uh, testicular implants for I dogs and cats that are neutered. I have seen those, That's exactly correct. <laughs> So what I found to get them on the show, but so far no luck. <laughs> but what's interesting on their site is, you know, they they talk about right on their homepage about how this concept of implants uh, following neutering actually allows your pet to maintain his or her self or his I'm sorry self esteem, uh -huh. which is a very interesting thought process. And I, you know, I one of the kind of premises I have with this concept of anthropomorphism is that there's a lot of marketing going on in the business. I mean, the uh -huh. industry is just exploding, and I think a lot of, there's a lot of kind of opportunistic services and companies that are preying on people that, sure. you know, everything from really high-end beds and boutiques and clothing and that sort of thing. So and, we just and, you know, as much as we like dressing up our pets, they don't like it. <laughs> Take those clothes off of them. They have beautiful fur coats already. They definitely do, and I, and um you know, we forget that, I mean, dogs in particular are very social animals, and mm -hmm. they require a social structure. So we hear often, we hear of dog trainers talking about the pack theory of dog training. So that's mm -hmm. a very, I mean, I think a lot of people have heard about that. But really what that kind of implies is that, you know, dogs need some kind of structure. They, if we start to examples of, like, people that allow their dogs to jump up on bed and sleep with them, it's a mm -hmm. very human thing to do. But what we don't realize is the consequence of that behavior could be we're basically telling the dog at that point, okay, we're equal. Because right. the kind of in the post world of a dog, uh, the pack leader or the alpha dog would be the one that sleeps on the highest ground or has the preferential sure. sleeping location. I so think it's more important to realize this if you have one of the larger breeds, like a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd, 
especially with this type of dog, you need to make sure they know you're the alpha in the family. Right. And if you lose that position, you're heading down a really bad road. So yes. with the little yeah. tiny lap dogs, it's not so much of a big deal. But I, I still think you're right. right. We should we should pay attention to making sure even the little dogs know. With who's little involved. dogs, also you, you we get you know chronic barking, we get anxiety, and the, a lot of the anxiety that we see, I mean. Regrettably, now a short-term solution is to provide them with medication. But what mm-hmm. we're not realizing is, if we take a step back, there are probably a lot of behaviors that we, as owners, could do and take differently that would have a better effect than you know a long-term medication re- sure. regime for your pet. So, um, I, ca- I mean, some of the some of the solutions that I kind of put in place, and I think at the pet stuff we do, you know, we when we're caring for dogs, and particularly when we're training dogs, we always say there's no dog problems, there's only people problems. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what our job is to do is to really educate pet owners on how to coexist with a dog or a cat and so you're allow training it to be pet a dog owners. or a cat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. I mean, the word dog trainer anymore is really a misnomer. Yeah, and human trainer. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's great. You know, I know we, we've got a lot to talk about, and we only have like a minute or two to fit it all in. But but I did want to talk about, you mentioned something, you know, feeding dogs human food and how right. that's a problem. And I know obesity in pets is a huge, huge problem now. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, and, you know, I think it's also a downstream consequence of this anthropomorphism concept where um, I think, unfortunately, today, you know, the, the pet food and the pet industry is also a, a burgeoning industry, which is allowing a lot of entrants to come in and participate in the pet food industry. So what's... What's happening, regrettably, is there's not a lot of education as to how to select the right food. And Mm -hmm. and so the result of that is many of us are feeding our pets fast food and we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. So would you allow your child, for example, to eat fast food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Probably not. I would hope not. But I think the equivalent is happening in the pet care industry where we don't know how to pick up a a bag of dog food or cat food and read the nutritional composition and have it make sense for us. So... Um, I mean, it, just a quick example I think people don't realize is if you look at the first five ingredients, for example, of what you're feeding your pet, um, you need to look for a good protein source and not one that is like a, a meal. You don't want to see the word meal in the first five ingredients of sure. what you're serving, mm-hmm. um, as well as corn. I mean, there's a lot of filler and a lot of preservatives that are now in pet foods. And probably the best thing is to have a really honest conversation with your veterinarian because uh, they can really tell you what the right composition and the right choices for you and your type of breed. And your vet can also tell you in plain and simple terms that your dog is overweight because I think a lot of people don't want to admit that. You know, they have these little bowling balls with legs and (laughs) they think their dogs are just fine. There was a study actually done over the summer by 29 states and a veterinarian board that found that 53% of cats and 43% of dogs are overweight or wow. obese, which is a mind-boggling statistic. really kind of mirrors the human population, though, sad yeah. to say. I, sadly, it does. <laughs> but what was interesting also is the percentage of those owners that thought their pet was overweight was much lower than the same a percentage of veterinarians yeah. that thought so. So yeah, They're all floating I, in yes. denial river. <laughs> which is not unlike us. Well, well, this has been fascinating, fascinating stuff. I wish we had more time to talk, but unfortunately our interviews go way too quickly. <laughs> so please, let's give out your pet staff information one more Great. time. Um, the pet staff website is www.thepetstaff.com, or you can call us at 310 273 5600. 
Wonderful. Michael, this has been such great information. Thank you for sharing it and spending some time with us today. We need to take a quick station break, but don't go away. We'll be right back on the Pet Place Radio Show here on KGIL AM 1260 and 540. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show here on AM 1260 and 540. I am very pleased to present to everybody Wayne Paselli, the President of the Humane Society of the United States. Welcome to the Pet Place, Wayne. I'm delighted to be on your show. I'm so glad you could make it. I know you've been a very busy person here in California, making stops with TV news and Wolfgang Puck and the whole nine yards, so thanks for squeezing us into your schedule. I'm delighted. Thanks for all the great work you do on your show. Well, thank you. Hey, we've got a real serious uh, ballot measure on our um, on our election coming up, and and I'm afraid that a lot of people don't even know about it yet, which is very surprising considering how close we are to election day, and that's Proposition Two. It's a cluttered ballot. There are there are a dozen propositions, and of course, a lot of the a lot of the uh, air in the room is being taken up by the contested presidential race. Mm-hmm. But for animal advocates, uh, Prop Two is at the top of the list. It's called the Prevention of Farm Animal Cruelty Act, and it deals with the mistreatment of animals on factory farms, and specifically the severe confinement of veal calves, breeding pigs, and laying hens in small cages. Often the cages are just barely larger than the animal's bodies, and the animals are effectively immobilized for their entire lives. That's just terrible. It is terrible, and we can do better as a society. You know, these are almost like puppy mills, you know, for for farm animals, but Mm -hmm. even even more, you know, packed in. If people saw the Oprah segment on puppy mills or if they're familiar with the dogs in cages, uh, think of cages that are barely larger than the animal's body, and the animal is living in this cage for a year or two or three mm-hmm. before they're no longer valuable commercially, and then they're sent off to slaughter. And these are filthy, horrible conditions, and they often get injured while they're in kept in such confinement. I mean, it's it's horrifying, to say the very least. Anytime you you cram so many animals and they've got tens of thousands of animals, sometimes hundreds of thousands uh, on these factory farms, they become impossible to manage in terms of individual animal welfare attention. And you have so many animals and there's so much waste and manure and and urine that the the animals are are often choking um, in, in this environment from all of the waste. Uh, they can't move, they're, they're immobilized. They're really treated like a thing or an object rather than as a living, breathing creature. And what Prop 2 seeks to do is simply allow these animals to stand up, lie down, turn around, and extend their limbs. Now, we don't think that's too much to ask for, that animals with legs and wings should be allowed to use them. That's why the Humane Society of the United States and more than a 1,000 others are endorsing a yes on Proposition 2. That sounds totally reasonable to me, but Wayne, some of the opposition that I've been hearing, um, you know, even though people agree that animals should be treated uh, humanely, they're concerned that this is going to make uh, all of their favorite um, farm food, basically, uh, become too costly. What do you say about that? You know, these are typical scare tactics from an industry that doesn't want to change, that's been making record profits. In fact, the leading opponents of Proposition 2, which are national egg factory farms, are under investigation 
from the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, for an illegal price-fixing scheme. They've been holding down supply to jack up prices. Fifty percent has been the price increase over the last two years for standard table fare eggs. So while these people are lamenting, uh, you know, or crying crocodile tears for a penny an egg increase, which is what their own economist says the increase in price will be, if you shift shift from these cage systems to cage free, they're belly aching about a one cent price increase when they've increased prices. 50 or 60 cents in the last two years. So we don't really think they're very credi- credible. We think they're actually hypocritical. And uh, we don't think that there's a serious issue on the price issue in any way. You know, and even if it was a factor of price that's, you know, causing them to say uh, no on Proposition 2, you know, for me, since when do we say we'll do the right thing but only if we can afford it? Exactly. I mean, the cruelty is so severe that that um, you know we have to have to uh, factor the animal's well-being into the equation, and not just think about economics. But the fact is, you know, their own economists said it would be less than a penny an egg price increase. So the economic burden is de minimis. It's almost nothing. It's almost unnoticeable. And and uh, it's I, I just can't help. Uh, you know, but but point out that this is, these are the same companies that have been hiking up prices 50 percent and making record profits. So the the hypocrisy is just too much for me to bear. Sometimes. Wow, that that's just absolutely stunning. But I have another question for you, and I'm trying to cram in as much as I can in our short amount of time here. But there's some health concerns too with keeping animals animals that are going to be food in conditions like this what are the concerns and and won't you know changing the way that animals are kept alleviate those problems you know it, we see in our work when you mistreat animals you often have other consequences that are that are bad for society you know we know that that people who are cruel to animals sometimes you know turn their violent tendencies toward others mm-hmm. and we also know that on factory farms when you mistreat animals it leads to animals uh, who are in ill health and that means that the food is not as safe for consumers the european union which is now 27 nations is is banning all battery cages which are the small wire cages that egg laying hens are housed in by 2012 yeah. and a big study was done in europe uh, looking at 5,000 flocks of birds. Some of them were battery cage operations, others were cage-free, others were free-range. And the conclusion of this study was that the battery cage system, the one that Prop 2 targets, is inherently inhumane because the animals are not allowed to move in that system. Uh, but they also showed that because the animals are so overcrowded and confined, salmonella rates are 20 times higher in the battery cage operations than in conventional cage-free systems. That totally makes sense because if you have disease and you have all these animals that are subject to that disease in such close quarters, they can't help but getting sick. When, you know, it would be like, you know, there there are 700,000 or a million birds on some of these factory farms in California. Mm -hmm. So it would be like if, if, you know, you put all of the people in Fresno, 450,000, you know, into a single building. You would obviously expect that if one person gets sick, others would get sick. 
Mm-hmm. You would also expect that they'd be very stressed in this overcrowded environment. That's what we see with factory farms, that the industry tries to tell us that white is black and black is white. They try to tell us that it's good for the birds to be crammed in these cages. But we know intuitively, just on the basis of common sense, that when you overcrowd animals uh, in this way, it's just not healthy, and that means it's not healthy for us. No, and you know, a lot of people just want to turn a blind eye to it. They don't want to hear about all of these horrors. They want to just be able to go to the store, get their dozen eggs and their meat, you know, nicely packaged and clean, and, and they don't want to think about anything that came before that. And so when I'm talking to people about Proposition 2, I feel like the messenger that, you know, everybody hates because they they just want to be oblivious. They don't want to really know about this. Well, that's why Prop 2 is great because it, it really compels uh, people to think about this. And I do think that most people do have kind instincts and most people are compassionate. And that's why we're seeing the polls in the state of California are overwhelmingly in favor of Proposition 2. That's fabulous. Yes, it is. Because, you know, most people who eat meat and and consume eggs, I think, you know, your average decent person does not want to think the animals were tormented Mm -hmm. uh, before before the, the, the animal product was produced. And what Proposition 2 does is it it just, you know, sets a basic standard that, uh, animals built to move should be allowed to move. They shouldn't be confined in these tiny cages and crates. And the other element of this is we have an alternative, you know, not, not only not eating animal products, but also having production practices that don't use these cages and crates. Hundreds of, of farmers and farms have endorsed Prop 2 here in California, and we know that major retailers like Wolfgang Puck or Compass Group, which is the largest food service provider in the U.S., only purchase products from from uh, farms that don't confine the animals in this way. And that's the way it's going to be in the future because the public just won't stand for this cruelty. Well, I sure hope that's the case. I sure hope that everybody finally says once and for all, we're not going to treat animals like this because they are sentient beings. I had a pet rooster when I was growing up, and he had so much personality, and he was just so sweet. And I think if people saw these animals as the little individual personalities that they are, they'd, they'd have a completely different perspective. You know, the the animals are, are not our equals in terms of intelligence, but they are our equals in terms of their capacity to suffer. And it's precisely because we're intelligent and because we're a moral species, capable of moral action and moral thought, that we should we should be good and decent and use the power that we have as a species for the good and not just a selfish sort of application of our power. You know, I really think what factory farms are about is the misuse of power. Mm-hmm. Because they're in a dominant position, they can do anything they want to these poor creatures. And I think we're better than this as individuals, and we're better as a society. And that's why Prop 2 is an opportunity to do something good for the world. And it hardly comes at any cost, less than a penny an egg, uh, as compared to these illegal price-fixing schemes where they've been jacking up prices. Absolutely. Uh, Wayne, we're... We have to squeeze in, you know, where we can find more information before I let you go. So really quickly, how can people find out more about Prop 2? Uh, yes on Prop2.com, www.yesonprop2.com. Please get involved and please vote yes on Prop 2 on November 4th. Thank you so much, Wayne. We need to take one last break here on the Pet Place Radio Show, but we'll be back in a flash. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it's time to 
time to tell you about a special event that's coming up. This Saturday, the Friends of the Lake Forest Animals are holding their first annual Pet Extravaganza. And guess what? All of us from the Pet Place, including Mickey Laszlo and Gary Lycan, will be making a personal appearance there in support of this wonderful cause. It'll be held at the Orchard Shopping Center at the Arbor on El Toro Road from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. There'll be all sorts of fun events and lots of cool merchandise to buy for your special pets or your pet people for the upcoming holiday holidays. All pets are welcome to attend the event, but they must be on a leash. For more information, contact S-O-C-O-A-S-C at yahoo.com. And as always, I encourage you to check out the Pet Place website at petplace.org to find out all the latest pet news. And once you're there, click on the contact link and say hi and give us some suggestions for topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on AM 1260 and 540. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please stay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day. Thank you.